This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Well, it is the calm before the storm, as they always say. Partly sunny, gradually becoming sunny today, and a high in the low 30s, and then downhill from there. Winter storm watch in effect from 10 a.m. on Thursday, that's tomorrow, until 1 a.m. Saturday, December 17th for the Binghamton area, with different beginning and end times for the advisories for other regions. NOAA says the total storm accumulation and possibility for the region was being estimated in the range of 5 to 10 inches of snow for Broome, Shenango, Cortland, Tioga, Tompkins, Susquehanna, and Wayne counties, and 7 to 15 inches for Delaware County with ice accumulations of a light glaze. While the storm watch for the Binghamton area was to start at 10 a.m. on Thursday and end early on Saturday, the watch for areas to the west was for earlier on Thursday morning, 7, and ending at 7 Friday evening. Delaware County's watch was to begin at 1 tomorrow afternoon and end at 7 on Saturday morning with accumulations up to 15 inches, especially in the Catskills. The National Weather Service says the snow is expected to be wet and heavy with the potential to bring down tree branches and that could lead to scattered power outages. Travel could also be difficult to impossible, impacting the morning or evening commutes Thursday through Friday and into Saturday for some areas. Two Broome County men are facing weapon charges in connection with an incident Monday morning that prompted several local school districts, hospitals, and businesses to implement lockout threat protocols. Broome County Sheriff's officials say 42-year-old Nicholas Skiba of Johnson City is accused of live-streaming on his Facebook page while driving a vehicle armed with a handgun and wearing ballistic body armor making threats. Authorities say 28-year-old Keith Hall Sr. of Shenango Forks was also in the vehicle after schools, hospitals, and businesses in the area and associated with Skiba or his relatives went on precautionary lockout. Authorities located the pair at Hall's home on Route 12 early Monday afternoon and took the men into custody. Each is charged with five felony counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Authorities say they also found Skiba is legally not allowed to own a gun. Investigators found several firearms in Hall's Shenango Forks home, including the weapon seen on the Facebook Live presentation. They also seized five handguns, four rifles, three shotguns, and two black powder pistols. Several large capacity magazines were confiscated. The sheriff's office received extreme risk protection orders under the state's red flag law that were served on the men in the Broome County Jail. The Broome County District Attorney's Office says a Binghamton man will be locked up for three years for breaking into a home on Vermont Avenue last March. 32-year-old Frank Cristatello pleaded guilty to felony attempted burglary, admitting he broke into the house and stole money and jewelry. He had previously been convicted in 2018 for felony narcotics possession in Sullivan County. New York State Police say an Ithaca man is accused of pointing a crossbow at someone in the Hanshaw Village trailer park. 58-year-old Bernie Hall was arrested Friday and charged with misdemeanor menacing and criminal possession of a weapon. There were no injuries. People have been going to the Broome County Government COVID dashboard for daily updates of the progress of the coronavirus pandemic are going to have to get their information elsewhere soon. Other county health departments in the region have discontinued their case numbers and death statistics on their Facebook accounts for several months with daily updates offered on the New York Times managed dashboard, the New York State Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention websites. Those sites during the course of the pandemic over the past two and a half years many times offered different numbers than the 
reports coming directly from local departments of health. This week, Broome County Health Department announced due to changes in the way statistical information is shared with counties across New York, Broome will discontinue its COVID-19 dashboard in 2023. Information will continue to be available through the state health department and centers for disease control. The county's contract with the State Department of Health ComCare platform will end December 31st, cutting off the primary data source for the Broome COVID dashboard. Once again, we have that winter storm watch in effect starting on Thursday and running in many areas until early Saturday morning. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today gradually becoming sunny, a high in the low 30s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the upper teens. Now for the Binghamton area on Thursday, a 100% chance of snow and sleet becoming all snow by early afternoon, a high in the mid 30s, winds gusting as high as 24 miles an hour, new snow and sleet accumulations of around two inches. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. Joseph live on a Wednesday morning and we welcome you to News Radio WNBF 921 FM 1290 AM streaming at wnbf.com Phone lines are open if you'd like to talk on our program please call 607-772-1290 Midday dance. On the skating rink at Rec Park. That was me. That was me skating around there. Testing that fresh layer of ice. We could call it skate park. We could call it skate park. At the uh, beautiful, beautiful park on the west side of Binghamton. The uh, ice looks nice. I don't know how it's going to hold up over the next few days with uh, temperatures at times during the day getting above freezing. But for the moment, I think it looks pretty decent. It's good to see the city parks department workers very busy getting the ice ready should be a big party if you like big holiday parties i would say rec park will be a place to be saturday afternoon and saturday evening you can take a look at the uh, preparations yes even a nice photo on wnbf.com of the carousel that has been in that park for 97 years. And they'll have carousel rides, skating, hot cocoa, carousel, well, we mentioned the carousel rides, hay rides, um, even rides in a horse-drawn carriage, they say. 
So that's happening at Recreation Park. You can just imagine what Rod Serling would say. I would say the spirit of Rod Serling will uh, be felt in Rec Park on Saturday. Oh, beautiful. Year-round, no matter what the season, that's a, that's a gem. Of course, all of our parks in the Binghamton area are gems. What else is going on around our region? Well, if you take a look at WNBF.com, we have the latest on the weather situation because winter-like weather, remember it's not winter weather, winter-like weather is heading our way. Starting in about a week, then it'll be winter weather. This is late fall weather. And we have the latest on what you can expect with the storm heading our way. On the website, WNBF.com. Also, um, we had updated information about the shocking story on Monday where they say a guy was driving around the area, apparently with a buddy, doing some sort of TV production on Facebook Live, um, threatening. Threatening people and places and making life unpleasant, generally speaking. So the latest details, as we, uh, of course, we brought you the story first on Monday, where the uh, school and hospital lockouts and some businesses. I mean, if you have a guy and his buddy during the holiday season driving around making threats, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I, I have no idea. Nobody seems to have an idea if he was serious. I mean, in the end... Nobody was injured, and the authorities were able to take the star of the Facebook Live video, take him into custody without incident, and also his buddy, who apparently was riding around in that Ford. But still, it's, uh, it's a frightening thing that people can pull that st sort of thing off. I'm almost at the point now where I would propose I'm inclined to propose that these social media sites, these platforms not allow live streaming the way they do now have a live stream provision but make it in a way that People can't live stream threats or violence. I don't know exactly how you do it, but until they figure out how to do it, I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and people of their caliber are smart enough to hire someone who can develop a live stream technology that'll prevent people from driving around Broome County making threats and scaring the heck out of people. So do that, Mr. Facebook or Mark Meta or Tommy Twitter. Come up with a system that will keep this sort of thing from happening. So people, if they want to do something violent or if they just want to threaten violence or if they just want to be bad actors, that they don't have a platform. 
They probably should do it now before there is state or federal legislation that forces them. So if Elon Musk and the other powerful people at these social media sites, if they want to do themselves and us a favor, they would get their engineers working on a system that will prevent, maybe not prevent at all, but prevent most of this stuff from happening again. We, it's clear it's a big problem. So when you see there's a big problem, take steps to fix it. That's what I say. Or else at some point, there probably will be legislation proposed that will be so restrictive that no one will like it. So, just a thought. It's 917 at News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com with Bob Joseph. And, gee... Holidays are almost here. 2023 is almost here. Seems like a good time to go shopping for a new vehicle. Heck, get a new vehicle today. At Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, 4455 Vestal Parkway East in Vestal. They're open this evening till 6, directly across from Binghamton University. Stop by and see what they can offer in the way of new Hondas or Hyundais. Yeah, maybe it'll be a bit of a wait, or maybe they have something on its way now that hasn't already been claimed. Find out. Or choose from the many vehicles in their used vehicle inventory. You can access that used vehicle inventory on the website, MillerAutoTeam.com. Miller Motors, they're there for you. Of course, they sell vehicles, but they also provide service and they also have a body shop. So for all your vehicle needs, Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, 6 p.m. Closing time tonight. And then tomorrow they're scheduled to be open from 9 to 7. So get a vehicle that you can rely on at Miller Motors. It's 918. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. Bob Joseph live, and uh, we've got a special guest coming up next hour, so someone who's been on the program in the past, but hasn't been here in a while, and uh, I think you'll be pleased. I know you'll be pleased. Also coming up in about 10 minutes, Dave Nicosia from the National Weather Service will explain a couple of things about the weather, mostly uh, what kind of snow and ice and wind we might be able to expect 
around here on Thursday and Friday. So if you're among those who are really concerned about the weather, I implore you to stay tuned with Dave Nicosia from your National Weather Service. Uh, right now, the forecast. Today, nice. Sunny, 31. Tonight, kind of nice. Partly cloudy, 20. And tomorrow, snow and sleet in the morning. Becoming all snow in the afternoon. 35, more snow tomorrow night and some more snow combined with rain on Friday. That's the essence the essence and a winter storm watch will be in effect for the Binghamton area starting at 10 tomorrow morning, running through 1 o'clock Saturday morning. So if you have something to do, go out and buy your stuff. And basically, that's what storms are, is an opportunity for you to buy your stuff. Uh, somebody, somebody theorized at one point that the whole point of having weather is just part of... Uh, a marketing plan, a marketing strategy for U.S. businesses. Maybe it is. I don't know. Seems whatever whatever they're doing, it seems to work. Nine twenty-three. Bob Joseph live with Gary on the West Side. Good morning. Hi, Gary. <laughs> Can you hear me now? That's never a good sign. Hold on a second. All right, that was just a test of the other line. Hold on. You hear me now? All right, let's... Gary, you're always welcome to call back. I think I think the phone lines will work today. That's what I've been told. Anyway, stay tuned. Uh, coming right up, we plan to speak with Karen Sweet O'Neill. Hi. Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. And we are joined by Karen Sweet O'Neill on this Wednesday. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How's it going? Oh, great. How are things? Very good. Yeah. 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 Getting closer to the holiday. Oh, I love it. Winding That's... down up at the office. Yeah. And look, somebody is. sent me a Christmas card. Listen. This is a live Christmas card on the radio. This is... Huh. So far, it's good. Yeah. Anyway, that's as far as I'm going to go. I'll, I'll open the rest of it later. So that's, that's, called, <laughs> that's called giving people a reason to listen to, to a radio program. <laughs> the guy is going to open a Christmas card on the radio. And it's like, wow. no, no wonder Marconi is proud. Or at least Mar right? <laughs> this is Marconi's great, 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 great grandchildren are, are nodding their heads and saying, yeah, that's what Mr. Marconi wanted. That's why he spent all the time and effort to invent radio so you could open Christmas cards on the air. Hey, they've done it in the past. Yep, we well, didn't have TV. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah. Anyway, well, we are uh, at a, an important juncture of the year where decisions yeah. are being made, not just decisions on whether to send out Christmas cards and how many to open at one time. There are other decisions mm-hmm. that we need to make. There are. And, you know, as we were talking earlier, it's, you know, t- kind of a time to wind down as well. The year's going to be over shortly. However, that being said, it's a really good time, Bob, for people to gather their annual statements for their insurance policies. They can set them aside, put them in a pile uh, if need be, and then give us a call, and we are going to start scheduling reviews um, in January because it's really important that the policies that you bought maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago are still appropriate for your situation today. And specifically, we're talking about life insurance policies, whether they're universal life, whole life, term life, long-term care insurance policies, disability policies, and uh, some annuities. So, you know, it's really good just to get a snapshot, again, of what you have. We just did this for a couple the other day. And, I mean, they had a pretty big stack of policies, and they went back as far as some of them were 1990. I mean, it's like, wow. And, you know, you have a lot of cash buildup in some of these policies, and the insurance company loves you because they don't, they're don't they not on the hook for a big uh, death benefit in that case. But also you want to make sure that if you have a loan or something like that in your policy that it's not going to, you know, overloan yourself, which means you're going to owe taxes on it if you surrender the policy. So all these sorts of things. And also very important is if you have like a 20-year, 10, 15, 20-year term policy because you were protecting your family when the kids were, you know, getting older, Bob, and going off to college perhaps, and now they have their own homes and or they're, you know, they're situated themselves and your term policy is coming due, what does that mean? It means it used to cost you $30 a month for half a half a million, and now it's going to cost you, you know, $500 a month. Well, that might not be a great buy for you. So most people, once the term goes through, will look to either purchase more insurance or what we do a lot of is conversions if your policy warrants it. And that means that you can convert all or a portion of your existing policy at the at the standard or preferred rate that you got because you were healthy, you were younger, and you don't have to go through any medical to get it. So that's always nice because it's hard when you get older and if things start to happen and now these companies want your business, but they want to charge you more money for it. I've noticed that. You know, isn't that Uh interesting? As we grow older, it seems like they want to charge us more money. Hmm. Well, we're closer to the end. This is the end. Uh, this is the end. Uh, and they want to make sure they get enough premium. Well, of to, course they do. I mean, uh, I understand. Oh. Yeah, I understand the premise, the but still doesn't mm-hmm. still doesn't ease the pain that at some point we will slowly, slowly face the final sign-off. Well, maybe slowly, maybe quickly. Who knows? Well, that's true. Start. I mean, who? That's exactly right. For all I know. I don't have to finish that no, sentence. No, don't no. Say that. Don't say that. no. Anyway, I mean, tis the season anyway to appreciate every day. I was just having a chat with my neighbor this morning, uh-huh. and we we talked about how beautiful today was. Blue skies, 
mm-hmm. fresh air, and how we should appreciate every day, every day, and everything that we have. Every Agreed. every ability we have, and every day is actually a, a new chapter and, and a real gift. That's right. That's right. Couldn't have said it better. So here's the thing. That being said, you want to protect your family, right? So if you have coverages that maybe are now going to expire, then you might want those checked out before they do to see if there's any potential to, you know, save some money but still have some coverage. So we have all the companies. We shop everything for you. We can bring you in and call the companies direct and find out what your situation is with the policies you have. We are at... 1708 Vestal Parkway East, up above Plato's Closet and Style Encore, the old Howard's Florist, people refer to it as, up above. And you can reach us several ways. You can give us a call at 607-772-4898. You can Google us at KSO Insurance. And all our contact information comes up or you can simply go to a phone book and we have a big display ad under insurance in the yellow pages. Karen, thanks for the information. Hope you have a great day. Watch out. The snow is on its way. In fact, coming up next, we're going to hear from Dave Nicosia from the National Weather Service, and he'll tell us about the snow and maybe some sleet and wind that we'll be getting tomorrow and Friday. So I encourage you to stay tuned and take proper precautions. Absolutely. You better go get your milk and bread. Oh, yeah. And, of course... (laughs) Malamars. I'm going to get 10 boxes of Malamars to get me through the next 72 hours. (laughs) Well, good luck with that, Bob. (laughs) Thank you. Karen Sweet O'Neill on this Wednesday morning. Have a great day. You too. 934. This is Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on your free WNBF app. There is a winter storm watch coming up. It's not in effect yet, but it will be soon. Details straight ahead on WNBF. WNBF's weather ambassador, Natalie Merchant. Because I, like Natalie Merchant, I like the weather. And that's why I like our conversations with Dave Nicosia from the National Weather Service. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Good. Too bad that you're stuck up there at the office on Mount Ettrick because Natalie Merchant is here in the studio and Oh, you got to be kidding me. I am kidding you. <laughs> Trust me. Trust well, me. You we tell we, me when she's coming I to know. the studio. I'm telling you. I know. I will be there. Yeah. We could talk all about the weather for 3 hours. Three hours, yes. absolutely. <laughs> anyway, speaking of weather, uh, we've seen some of the um, dramatic pictures, in some cases uh, sad pictures, of what's already happened with this weather system elsewhere in the country. Uh, some people, sadly, have um, 
have had to experience some devastation and, and injuries and, and even death. This is a, a, a storm system that is already has already touched millions and millions of people across the country, and it is um, slowly but surely heading our way. Yeah, it is. And fortunately, we won't be dealing with any severe weather. I'll take snow any day over severe weather. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we've got this storm's coming, uh, and it looks like tomorrow it's in the Binghamton area, the greater Binghamton area, we're expecting it's going to be kind of a mixture at first of sleet, freezing rain, and uh, around noonish or so, and then a few hours, a couple hours later, it's going to turn to all snow, and then it snows all the way in through Thursday night, expect the heaviest snow probably in the evening into the overnight, and then it's lighter snows on Friday. In fact, it might even mix with rain at times uh, Friday morning. And the valleys certainly will see less snow than the higher elevations, but all the precipitation will wind down late Friday into Friday night. So, um, But the heaviest we think is going to be Thursday evening into the overnight hours. Um, and it's going to be, unfortunately, Bob, we think it's going to be a heavy, wet snow. And we remember what that did in April. I remember. So, I I took lots of yeah, pictures, and I know. <laughs> and and therefore, what I don't mind per, heavy, wet snow per se, but what bothers me mainly, aside from shoveling, is when we have widespread power outages. And that's, as I recall, in April we had perhaps the uh, the highest number of power outages in recent memory in Broome County because of that storm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we did. And and again, we're expecting it's going to vary just like the April storm varied with elevation, you know, lowest in the valleys, five inches or so, maybe even a little bit less, but up to 10 inches or more in the higher elevations around the area. Um, plus, there's going to be some icing. And then Thursday night, we're going to have some wind, too, wind gusting 30, 35 miles an hour. So certainly there is a potential for significant power outages in the in the southern tier and twin tier region. So that's something to be cognizant of. And the only thing that like we just don't know is like a lot of trees went down in April. Maybe we thin the hurt you know, we thin the trees out. It's just hard to predict this. It really is hard to predict. I mean it's hard to predict in the weather, but then we gotta predict exactly what the trees are gonna do and that's that's almost impossible. So I would prepare for power outages. And certainly the, tra- the travel is going to be, it always is, it's going to be, it's going to be a mess, you know, starting from tomorrow afternoon all the way into Friday and Friday evening. It's, you know, it's going to be a typical winter storm. Um, so that we can pretty much count on, but you know, the power outage situation could be pretty interesting. So I'm telling you what, I'm getting my generator all ready to go when I get home from work today. So I don't know if that says anything, but <laughs> well, what it, what it means is, get ready, get ready. Oh, another thing, you know what it means, even though it's 2022? It means if you have some kind of a radio, like a portable radio that yeah. has batteries, like people used mm-hmm. to have back in the day before the internets, I would uh, mm-hmm. even encourage people to get some fresh batteries at the battery hut on the parkway. Get lots and lots of batteries for your radio just in case. Because sometimes, you know, I don't like to bring this up because we're so reliant on technology now, but sometimes the 
a phone you have might not have all the information that you need that you might otherwise be able to get on WNBF over the air. So just that's right, and don't forget about the NOAA weather radio. Weather radio W on Ingram Hill WXL really? thirty eight WXL thirty eight Binghamton. Hey, you could do a promo for us. Man. <laughs> I could. I remember. Remember, I I still. I'm not planning to leave WNBF in the near future, but at some point when I need to transition into the next chapter in my broadcast career, I'll be coming to you up at Mount Ettrick at, at the global headquarters of WXL 38 to ask if That's I could right. do, you know, if I could do the WXL 38 morning zoo. I'll bring Kathy. Oh, yeah, I'll cool. bring we'll Kathy, we'll... James Kelly. I'll even bring back Roger Neal. The WXL38 Morning Zoo, where weather comes first. Oh, that would be amazing! So you come and see me when that when that happens. Yes. When you're ready for that. See, I don't I don't know if that's something for people to look forward to with anticipation or trepidation, but either way, it's it's not it's not like it's going to happen in the next year or two. But that's that's just you know at some point at some point when I. When I start, instead of my talk show hat, I'm wearing my weather hat. That's that's where people be able to find me. Oh, you! I know you love weather, Bob. I do. All over it. You do. I I have a a a fascination, and I've told you, I I had that fascination from when I was a kid, and I I used to call the office up there before they had the good phone lines and the internet. But the the forecasters got to know this kid, the kid calling from Endicott. Oh, that kid! It's it's about eight about eight fifteen every night. He wants to know the statistics that we that we've compiled, but we haven't put yet on our on our uh, outgoing uh, recorded message. So I I was in a period there where I I had this as a a young lad a, a weather fixation. So getting back to our current situation, um, right. I mean basically. With snow accumulations, the way the storm is setting up, what areas are most likely to receive the highest snow accumulations over the next couple of days? I would say it looks like uh, higher terrain of Delaware County and Otsego County and Sullivan County in uh, New York looks like could go over a foot in those areas. Locally here, maybe up to the, the highest elevations around, maybe especially up in the Shenango County some of those high terrain that are over 2,000 feet probably can get up to a foot or a snow or so. But the valleys, you know, it's going to be extremely variable. It, it makes it very difficult for me to forecast in every single person's backyard because it's going to be different depending on where you are in the area. So it's going to be highly variable. But, you know, I think at least four or five inches in the lowest elevations to a 10, 12 inches or more in the highest elevation, especially east of Binghamton. It's certainly going to be worse as we get in Delaware and Otsego counties and even parts of Shenango County as well. So that's that's what our latest thoughts are. All right. And here we are. I know people can't believe it. It's 10 days till Christmas Eve. And already, mm-hmm. already in Vegas, they're, they're uh, taking taking bets on a white Christmas for Binghamton. So for the people who are listening to us in Vegas, what, what's the likelihood of a white Christmas for Binghamton? It's looking pretty good. I'll tell you, next week, late next week, we are looking at another potential snowstorm. Now, that's a little further out for me to, to call it, but and we're getting into a quite a 
quite cold pattern. So I'd say the odds are pretty good. I would definitely go, I'd probably go 75% or greater, maybe even 80 and when you say late, I think, I think late next week, probability. you know, the, t- the tone in your voice, the tone in your voice there makes it sound like what, what could greet us late next week is somehow more exciting from a weather standpoint than what, well, what we're about to experience. Give, give me, well, let me put a it sense. This way. I'll put it this way. It looks very exciting on our computer models, but they're computer models, okay? And things can change, so we'll have to... You know, we'll just get through this one first, catch our breath, and then if we if we will, I'll talk to you again next week. Well, I'll be here. I'll be here. So, I I'll mean, be here too. <laughs> but the bottom line is, I mean, you can offer your assurances as the Binghamton weathers are. You can offer your assurances. We're not going to be hit with forty or fifty inches of snow late next week. Well. I'm not in South Carolina, okay? Like, like I was for the Yeah, I remember. You were out of position two years ago when we got slammed. <laughs> yeah, so that's one thing we got going for us. So I could I could say that. But, All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, when, when we're talking a week out, there's a, lot of, there's a lot that can happen. But, again, there is a potential another storm towards the end of next week. And, you know, it could go west of us, and it turns to rain, and then we end up dealing with flooding you know i mean anything could happen yeah well that's what i remember what happened in 2020 everything everything was going swimmingly with 40 or 50 inches of snow we got ourselves dug out then we had temperatures that soared into the 50s and then on christmas day we were hit by a heavy amount of rain and then we had flooding so i'm just saying i don't want to see the uh trials and and the problems of 2020 revisited Neither do I. Okay. I'll take the snow any day. (laughs) Anyway, Dave Nicosia. It is starting to look like the colder L wind, but we'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your work, and also uh, I I always thank your um, colleagues, the team at the National Weather Service here in Binghamton and across the country. And uh, I do, do certainly expect we'll be speaking with you sometime next week. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a great day, and everybody stay safe out there. Thank you, sir. It's 946. Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF. When I added. Joseph live on WNBF on a Wednesday morning at 9.50. Let's go to Gary on the west side. You're on the air. Bob, you got my finger snapping with that song. Isn't How can it, you not? Isn't it special? Hey, I want to know if this ever happened to you. This has happened to me. Uh, you know, listen to your station. You have Dave Nicosia comes on. He tells you there's going to be a storm. So that day you go out and you get to the snow thrower and you test it and it starts right up and you're good to go. All right, let the storm happen. The storm comes, you put on all your clothes, your boots, your hats, everything else. You go out there, you pull the cord on the snow thrower and the cord comes right out in your hand. What a bummer. Oh, yeah, that's... The best laid plans. Yep, yep, well that... 
that happens on sometimes on um, lawnmowers tour too. For some reason, it's like who's in charge of cords in this country? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the lawnmower at least you can. It doesn't matter if it grows, but the snow you got to get the snow out of there and to go from a unless you have a cord on hand, which luckily I did. I don't now because that's the one I use, but uh, and then you got to go to the snow shovel, and that's a bummer. Hey, I was out the yeah. other day. I got a, a, just a little observation here. So I was outside, and uh, it's about 4 o'clock in the evening. This was the last two days. And I hear this noise, and I'm like, what the heck? I go, that sounds like geese, right? And I'm, I'm looking up in the sky. I can't see. But they're way up there. I mean way up there. I could see the flock of geese, you know, 50, 60 of them. And there they are, and they're heading south. And I'm like, wow, they're getting a late start. I go, they must have been, like, all the way up in northern Canada, and now they're just getting down to here, you know? So I was curious, and I went and I looked up online to see, you know, when's the latest they fly or whatever. But they usually go September and October. So it didn't really say when's the latest. But here's an interesting fact, Bob. Do you know how far a Canadian geese could fly in a day with favorable conditions, a tailwind? What do you think the... the I would uh, guess 1,290 miles. You are actually pretty close. 1,500 miles that can fly. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. How fast do you think they normally fly? Uh, 120, miles 119 miles an hour. <laughs> well, see, you see what I did there? You know? I did not. I did not see. I, <laughs> please explain that to me. I didn't see. But, but anyway, yeah. No, they fly, uh, how fast they fly? Okay, so normally they fly like 40 miles an hour, but they can get up to 70 miles an hour. That's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. Well, that is that is pretty impressive. That's that's the exact speed I was traveling this morning on the way to work, seventy miles an hour. I'm which, curious. Which, have you seen any geese? Yes. Lately, or? I, yes. You have. Okay. I have. So, in, yeah. in the last few days, I've I've seen uh, several examples yeah. of of what you uh, describe. Right. Yeah. And it's just like just in the last couple of days. That's you know. So I don't know. It's kind of odd. I just thought I'd throw that out there. See, you know. I, I just was amazed that they could fly that far in one day. I mean, that is really amazing. I mean, and they were almost extinct at the beginning of last century. Not this past century that we lived through, but the one before that, they were almost extinct. Well, thanks to Broome County's uh, program to bring back the Canada geese over at Otsnego Park, everything has uh, turned around. I mean, at, at one point... Canada geese are on the brink of extinction, and then thanks to Broome County's initiative to bring back Canada geese, in fact, I think the initiative turned out to be just a tad more successful than they wanted. They are well-fed over in Hudson Engel Park. And, Bob, so you know what I'm doing this weekend? What you had mentioned earlier in the program, I'm going to Rec Park, and I'm going to ride on that little, whatever they have, the carriage that rides you around, and take my grandson into the Right on the carousel, and I mean, look, if you've got grandkids, that is, or kids, that's the place to go this weekend. I mean, it, it really is a special thing, you know? Yeah, you listen, go around I'm, on the I'm, car. Yeah, I was over there um, as they were 
listen to this. This is the the guys. They had a team of guys who were getting the uh, skating rink ready. This is the the sound of get, this is called getting the skating rink ready at Rec Park. Listen. And the, you can hear they're spraying some water on. Oh, he's walking in the snow. That's oh, me walking. That's me snow. walking. Yeah, there's there's water. And the the steps you hear, that's actually the crisp crunchiness of me walking through the beautiful snow of Recreation Park, taking video. So can check you penny loafers. <laughs> yes. Well, because of inflation, <laughs> they're my dime loafers. But anyway, <laughs> take a look at the video over at WNBF.com. It's cool. And I think people will have a good time. I hope you have a great time. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Yes. Rec Park, looking nice for this weekend's big event. Bob Joseph live on WNBF. I'm Bob Joseph live on a Wednesday morning. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF Binghamton. It's where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Well, it is the calm before the storm, as they always say. Partly sunny, gradually becoming sunny today, and a high in the low 30s, and then downhill from there. Winter storm watch in effect from 10 a.m. on Thursday, that's tomorrow, until 1 a.m. Saturday, December 17th for the Binghamton area, with different beginning and end times for the advisories for other regions. NOAA says the total storm accumulation and possibility for the region was being estimated in the range of 5 to 10 inches of snow for Broome, Shenango, Cortland, Tioga, Tompkins, Susquehanna, and Wayne counties, and 7 to 15 inches for Delaware County with ice accumulations of a light glaze. While the storm watch for the Binghamton area was to start at 10 a.m. on Thursday and end early on Saturday, the watch for areas to the west was for earlier on Thursday morning, 7, and ending at 7 Friday evening. Delaware County's watch was to begin at 1 tomorrow afternoon and end at 7 on Saturday morning, with accumulations up to 15 15 inches, especially in the Catskills. The National Weather Service says the snow is expected to be wet and heavy with the potential to bring down tree branches, and that could lead to scattered power outages. Travel could also be difficult to impossible, impacting the morning or evening commutes Thursday through Friday and into Saturday for some areas. Two Broome County men are facing weapon charges in connection with an incident Monday morning that prompted several local school districts, hospitals, and businesses to implement lockout threat protocols. Broome County Sheriff's officials say 42-year-old Nicholas Skiba of Johnson City is accused of live-streaming on his Facebook page while driving a vehicle armed with a handgun and wearing ballistic body armor making threats. Authorities say 28-year-old Keith Hall Sr. of Shenango Forks was also in the vehicle after schools, hospitals, and businesses in the area and associated with Skiba or his relatives went on precautionary lockout. Authorities located the pair at Hall's home on Route 12 early Monday afternoon and took the men into custody. Each is charged with five felony counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Authorities say they also found Skiba is legally not allowed to own a gun. Investigators found several firearms in Hall's Shenango Forks home, including the weapon seen on the Facebook Live presentation. They also seized five handguns, four rifles, three shotguns, and two black powder pistols. Several large capacity magazines were confiscated. The sheriff's office received extreme risk protection orders under the state's red flag law that were served on the men.
man in the Broome County Jail. The Broome County District Attorney's Office says a Binghamton man will be locked up for three years for breaking into a home on Vermont Avenue last March. 32-year-old Frank Cristatello pleaded guilty to felony attempted burglary, admitting he broke into the house and stole money and jewelry. He had previously been convicted in 2018 for felony narcotics possession in Sullivan County. New York State Police say an Ithaca man is accused of pointing a crossbow at someone in the Hanshaw Village trailer park. 58-year-old Bernie Hall was arrested Friday and charged with misdemeanor menacing and criminal possession of a weapon. There were no injuries. People have been going to the Broome County Government COVID dashboard for daily updates of the progress of the coronavirus pandemic are going to have to get their information elsewhere soon. Other county health departments in the region have discontinued their case numbers and death statistics on their Facebook accounts for several months with daily updates offered on the New York Times managed dashboard, the New York State Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention websites. Those sites during the course of the pandemic over the past two and a half years many times offered different numbers than the reports coming directly from local departments of health. This week, Broome County Health Department announced due to changes in the way statistical information is shared with counties across New York, Broome will discontinue its COVID-19 dashboard in 2023. Information will continue to be available through the State Health Department and Centers for Disease Control. The county's contract with the State Department of Health ComCare platform will end December 31st, cutting off the primary data source for the Broome COVID dashboard. Once again, we have that winter storm watch in effect starting on Thursday and running in many areas until early Saturday morning. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today gradually becoming sunny, a high in the low 30s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the upper teens. Now for the Binghamton area on Thursday, a 100% chance of snow and sleet becoming all snow by early afternoon, a high in the mid-30s, winds gusting as high as 24 miles an hour, new snow and sleet accumulations, of around two inches. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, Bob Joseph live on a Wednesday morning on News Radio WNBF, and we welcome back to the studio journalist Jeff Blatsky. Thank you, Bob, for having me. Well, this is um, a real treat for me. Uh, you actually have officially been retired from the world of journalism for just over two years. Two years, December 1st. So, how's retirement life? Well, it's uh, allowed me to pursue other options, doing freelance uh, journalism um, for an Adirondack uh, magazine and uh, online publication. And I'm a social media intern for my daughter's startup, so that uh, works out well. Well, it sounds like you're, you're staying active in this new chapter of your life. Trying to and keeping my time busy and uh, getting in some exercise and some reading, which I was, uh, couldn't do when I was uh, working full time. That is one of the things, I, and I've been involved in this 
world of journalism for decades myself and just trying to keep up and stay current with local events and and other things going on whether it's in albany or washington or harrisburg or wherever i mean especially now in the internet era you 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 have the sense that you never never know the whole story you never know as much as you wish you did once it's in your blood, you become a real detective on things that you've covered past 40, 45 years, in my case. And uh, it's hard to let that go. So I'm still scur- um, scurrying around the Internet, uh, looking at court files, looking at fi- other filings, looking at economic data, and uh, keeping abreast of what's current. Gee, has much changed in the world of journalism since you first got involved in in the the business of reporting the news back back what was it the late seventies or early early eighties? Uh, I started uh, in a weekly paper in. Uh, Presque Isle, Maine, in uh, January '76, right after I graduated, graduated Syracuse, and the whole scene has changed dramatically, and it's depre- it's a depressing scene. The thing that I have thought so much about when when the internet was just a novelty and we were all just sort of learning about the technology, I thought, uh, it turns out wrongly, that this would usher in a new era, uh, a vibrant era of, of reporting and potential um, hyper-local reporting with facts, facts, not just mm-hmm. stuff that people would post on social media with a, a mix of facts and, um, and we'll say, uh, embellishment. But I, I really thought that it would um, open an era of new opportunity for reporters here in the United States and around the world, and it hasn't quite worked out that way. We all did, Bob, and we thought uh, the Internet would provide uh, great readership. Unfortunately, the industry did a lot of miscues, uh, did a lot of missteps. Uh, Many discounted the Internet as a threat because, as you recall, uh, the newspaper industry was a monopoly for years, for decades, making uh, large profit margins. And uh, we and the industry became fat, dumb, and happy. So when innovation came along, it was uh, discounted by many uh, those in management, and that's uh, shame on us. Well, it's one of those things. If anybody had a a crystal ball to see where we would be in the year 2000 or in 2020, or for that matter, if we knew where things were actually going to be five years or ten years from now we could make uh, some better decisions but let's face it uh, some people the people i think who were most clued in to the way the technology was going to work they they weren't necessarily believed by people in media and other industries i think a lot of people thought it was far-fetched that the uh, changes that ultimately have happened because of the internet uh, a lot of people thought yeah well some things will change but most of what they're predicting will never come to pass 
Well, I'll never forget a meeting uh, that we had uh, when for internet, we first got on the internet uh, and we we're sitting in a meeting and uh, it was proposed that we were putting everything up in the newspaper online for free. And my good friend, uh, Chris Coker, who was Features editorial writer at that point, to the, eventually becoming Features writer, sitting there and saying, wait one second. We're putting everything that people pay for for a subscription online for free. That doesn't make sense. And his comment was kind of discounted. And that's the way it was. It wasn't necessarily local. That's the way it was all over. So we thought, uh, the industry thought there would be huge revenues from online advertising. Those never materialized. What you got from online advertising was a fraction of what you got from print advertising. Revenues uh, contracted and uh, led to the mess we have now. Well, it's interesting because in the early stages, I, even though I've never worked for a newspaper beyond delivering the the press, I mean, back when it was the Sunday and evening press and then the press and Sun Bulletin, um, well, I never delivered the combined paper, but uh, as you know, I, I've had this special love for newspapers for almost all my life, going back to kindergarten, and I always have have thought that uh, our our community, our community, a place even the size of Binghamton, was so fortunate, even in those days of the 60s, 70s, and into the mid-80s that we had two separate papers. Mm -hmm. And as you know, because you, you worked in that situation with competition, even if uh, reporters and editors for the competing paper were sharing a newsroom, they didn't share story ideas, and it was that that competition is what makes everyone better. It was cutthroat uh, in the newsrooms, uh, trying to get who was going to get the story first. And uh, believe me, well, I grew up in Queens, and when uh, I was growing up, we had uh, eight, nine papers in New York City, and my parents used to get uh, two or three papers in the morning, two papers in the afternoon, which developed my love for newspapers. And when you think back, even, you know, uh, in, into the 60s, before the, the great New York City newspaper strike. Think yeah. of how many dailies were out there for the people of, of uh, the New York City area to, to get information. And, and, and sadly, after the big newspaper strike, uh, there were only uh, a few newspapers left standing. True, true. Well, even from 2004, we can see what's happened. According to uh, the state of local news, it's a great, if you get a chance, look for it on the web. Um, it's by Medill, it's from Medill, uh, Medill School of Journalism at uh, Northwestern University, done by Penny Abernathy, called the State of Local News. And uh, just since 2004, uh, we, 2004, we had 1,472 newspapers. By 2021, that had been, uh, reduced to 12, uh, 1,230. We had uh, 7,419 weeklies. By 2021, that was down to 5,150. So, uh, the number of newspapers since 2005 have been reduced by one quarter. 
And by 2025, we're on track, according to this report, to lose one-third of the papers we had in 2005. That's just eye-opening. So journalists care. You and I care, and a lot of our current and former colleagues care about this. Do you think the average Joe on Court Street gives a darn? Well, it's been, uh, according to a Pew survey, most people believe the newspaper industry is in good shape. And uh, indeed, it's not. A lot of its advertising revenue has been uh, swiped up by big tech. Uh, Google, Facebook uh, has grabbed a large share, a lion's share of the advertising, leaving uh, local newspapers to uh, eat the crumbs. And that's really affecting. So while newspapers used to be, uh, have Profit margins of uh, north of 30%, which was very good at the times because even GE, the industrial company GE, was lucky to have uh, profit margins of 10%. Newspapers had 30%. Those days are long gone, and uh, we are seeing massive uh, reductions in newspaper staff, and that's depressing. It's 1020, Bob Joseph on WNBF. Our guest is journalist Jeff Platsky talking about the state of the industry. And also, we'll take a look ahead to the future. It's interesting because of the uh, period, a, a fairly lengthy period, where owning a newspaper in a community of any size, small, medium, or large, was sort of almost akin to having a license to print money. You you own the newspaper press, you had some reporters, and advertisers would want to, I mean, big stores, department stores, and in small shops would want to have their ad in the paper seven days a week. And that was great. Now, of course, we see most newspapers, regardless of size, certainly the print papers, have very, very few uh, uh, local um, uh, ads and, and not that many uh, major national advertisers. The few that, that actually show up are, are the people that um, I think base their their uh, payment on, on inquiries, uh, the mm -hmm. number of uh, uh, call inquiries that are received on a toll-free number, so that can be tabulated. And things are, of course, even at the, the top of the industry. The New York Times is one of those newspapers that is doing well, relatively speaking, but things are not going well in that so-called journalistic paradise. We saw what happened just a few days ago with New York Times staff, a staffer st staging a 24-hour strike because they've been working without a contract. Correct, and I see the New York Times uh, on your desk there, and if you look there's not an ad that I can see, or just a small ad on the bottom of the page. You have two pa uh, uh, pages spread out, and there's maybe uh, one th one eighth of the uh, page with an ad. If that's an ad, not an house both, ad, they're both house ads. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both, both house ads. Uh, that, times house ads, yeah. and that you see that it, uh, so frequently, regardless of the paper, a lot of the hole that's been set aside for potential advertising is filled with house ads or public mm -hmm. service messages. Yeah. Well, 
since 2005, were based on this report by uh, the Medill School, 60% of the journalists are no longer employed in journalism. So, um, so we've lost uh, 75k people employed by newspapers in 2005. By 2021, that was down to 31.4k, uh, and. So 60% from the newsroom, and what's worse, 80% of the photographers gone from newsrooms. And that is uh, another tremendous loss, because I, I remember so often when I, I started reporting here at WNBF, if I was out on a breaking news story, almost always there'd be a, a photographer for the, the local paper or papers, and I... I even thumbing through, you look back through the archives and you see many, many breaking stories were, were covered. And the, the old adage was a picture is worth a thousand words. Actually, f for some stories, uh, a picture is worth far more than a thousand words and can help uh, really provide a, a, a powerful addition to the uh, local reporting that, that a journalist was able to provide and without these photojournalists so much of of our shared experience is not being documented well with photographers it adds a lot of depth and sophistication to a story it was really when uh, you couldn't get a photographer to accompany you it was really depressing because the work of people like chuck haupt and uh, other people on the staff uh, we had uh, matt mendelson we had other photographers who did first-rate work and uh, when they had their when they accompanied you on a story you know that they were going to be uh, professionally staffed you going to get spectacular art from it that would uh, allow your story to be illustrated right and uh, give you a, a better chance on landing on 1A, the uh, front page in the newspaper. One story that comes to mind, it was just a little over 50 years ago, and I uh, try to uh, keep track of our uh, our paper and the, the local archives. Back when Tom Cawley was, was out and about reporting, there was a bank robbery that happened I don't know if it was around 10.30 or 11 o'clock on a weekday morning, just south of Vestal, I think on Route 267. And so Tom Cawley and a uh, photojournalist hopped into the uh, car, and they wound up, I think, on Route 26 at the precise moment that Vestal Police pulled over a, a vehicle that had the two bank robbery suspects. And so Tom Cawley has an extremely detailed story about the bank robbery that happened, I think, in Choconut, and then also an eyewitness account of how Vestal Police took the suspects into custody, and then the amazing photos that were on 1A mm -hmm. for the final edition which was hitting the streets probably at, at four o'clock that afternoon. And just the, the remarkable, one of the shots shows a, a suspect on the ground. So you see the photographer had taken the shot at ground level, and there's Tom Cawley with his notebook in the background. And it was just one of those things that when they started that day, they didn't think anything beyond uh, just the, the routine business of the Triple Cities would happen. But, but by uh, four in the afternoon, people around Binghamton saw that story, and it shows just how remarkable 
things could happen, even in a pre-internet era. Mm-hmm. Some of the the news and information, well before the internet, seemed to travel much more quickly than it does today. Imagine a world where we didn't have a photo of Rockefeller flipping the bird at the terminal in at Binghamton Airport. And thanks to Don Black. And remember, photographer Don Black didn't know he captured that shot till he got back to his black room on the Parkway in Vestal and developed the film and said, I got that shot. (laughs) Remember, he wasn't using a digital camera, so he had no idea until the film developed and said, I've got that. Not only Vice President Nelson Rockefeller experimenting with digital communication with those long-haired Harper College students at the airport, but also, all almost as good in the background, Bob Dole, oblivious exactly. to the whole thing. And I'm thinking, that's you see, if, if that sort of thing happened in 2022, some of us who are skeptical would say, "Wait, Don Black, you were playing, you were playing with your digital tools to come up with a shot that's just too perfect." No. But that that was beautiful. And now reporters with iPhones wouldn't be able to get that shot. And we had uh, we had a photographer that was on the scene. Uh, knew how to take uh, photo, was uh, versed in photojournalism, get those shots that doesn't exist or exists in far too places today. And that's a tragedy. It's amazing talking about that, that little fleeting moment up at the airport mm-hmm. with uh, uh, the vice president, Nelson Rockefeller, and of course, Bob Dole, who was uh, the vice presidential candidate that year, who was running with um, Gerald Ford. And um, one of the people who grew up here in Broome County, Darren Dopp. Exactly right. Yeah, he happened to be up there. And see, this is the thing that even now when I talk with Mr. Dopp, who I, I went to school with, even even I... I have to kick myself. You know, he had he had the presence of mind to ride his bike up to the airport because he knew Nelson Rockefeller was going to be there. So he he got to witness it. I think the only reason that I didn't wind up at the airport that day is I had to deliver newspapers. I had to deliver my papers uh, in Endicott and then ride my bike over to the radio station. Uh, on uh, East Main Street in Endicott to be on the air at 6. Otherwise, I probably would have been up there to, to witness that, that little historic bit of handiwork on, on the part of Rocky. Yeah, the other thing is I shudder to think what a person like Dave Rossi would think as he saw the decline of journalism now. A man who was deep, who loved the trade, who loved mentoring reporters and seeing what's happening to his field. Um, uh, it would break his heart to see what's happening in journalism, and that just, uh, that's tragic. Well, and you think about it. I mean, Dave Rossi, who was um, just a, a, an amazing career, um, initially reporting sports and then reporting news, the paper's education reporter for a long time, and then award-winning columnist, and all the other people over, over the years who uh, were able to cover uh, the mundane to the momentous and and document that they they would be shocked and the other thing I consider too, apart from the effects the day to day effect on our community is historians in the future mm-hmm. think about uh, historians like Jerry Smith and um, Roger Luther I mean they right. rely 
on newspaper archives now for much of the history of our area. So if they if they want to talk with some uh, uh, a- actual intelligence about things that happened within the last uh, century or so, they can go easily to archives or even before that. There are other papers that uh, have been preserved uh, to to actually get a real-time account of things that went on. And sadly... Looking forward 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now, a lot of people aren't going to have access, historians, whether they're real historians or just people interested in what happened in their community and with their relatives uh, in, this, in this era, they're not, not going to get much of that information. 42 newspapers published six or fewer days a week, 42 of the top 100 newspapers, and 11 of those only published one or two days a week. And so, but I've envisioned within the next five to ten years, uh, that's the trend in newspapers. If you're getting, uh, even if you're getting six days a week newspapers, that's going to be trimmed to three and possibly none. Yeah, I think it's a a gradual process. I would expect um, many U.S. papers at some point within the next couple of years to, to move toward even just one day a week and not Correct. necessarily delivered on Sunday, maybe Sunday. something that would be delivered Friday afternoon or Saturday mm-hmm. morning, a weekend edition that would effectively be very similar to the Sunday news and advertising package we now receive. And the impact even more on historians on democracy. Uh, what people are learning about uh, the world in which they live, what they're learning in the community that they live in, uh, the whole impact on uh, the, dem- uh, the democratic process is alarming, should alarm everyone. We'll have more of our conversation with journalist Jeff Platsky coming right up. I'm Bob Joseph, live on News Radio WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. I never write. Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Bob Joseph and Jeff Plansky talking about journalism in America in 2022. The thing that uh, I am aware of, and certainly you are aware of, since you continue to live in Binghamton, is on any given day or week or month, just how many stories that are going unreported and in we both remember the days where if we went to a Binghamton City Council meeting or a meeting of the Planning Commission, there would be multiple multiple reporters. Well, now uh, City Council meets, the county legislature meets, the town and village boards meet, school boards meet, and it's the exception when a reporter actually shows up at, at a government or school meeting. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, let me read a quote from Victor Picard, University of Pennsylvania professor. Um, a dwindling number of newspapers failing to produce even the bare minimum of news 
uh, news society requires isn't just a journalism crisis, it's a democracy crisis. And that's what's happening in America's communities. Uh, basic uh, news isn't being covered, uh, planning board. Uh, you used to think they were boring, but I'm telling you, that's where a lot of uh, the basic decisions about your community are being done. It's uh, where developments are being passed on, whether it's uh, this uh, uh, Vestal development where there's a tremendous amount of controversy, whether it's uh, a question of what's going in or what's being done in Endicott now. Uh, with the Euron campus, what do we know about that? What's happening? What's the future there? We don't know about that. And uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the situation we find ourselves in now. The Washington Post for the last few years has uh, a slogan, democracy dies in darkness. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think we're seeing that happen. We're yeah. seeing that we're, we're living through a time where bit by bit democracy is dying and we're eyewitnesses to that. And sadly, uh, we as individuals um, have a, a sense that there's not a whole lot we can do. Well, even at the Washington Post, uh, it was announced uh, that they are uh, trash canning their Sunday magazine, where uh, a lot of the best writing in the newspaper was appearing. So uh, they are trash canning because of, which uh, is a familiar phrase in journalism, because of economic headwinds. And we see that uh, time and time again, that phrase being used as uh, more cutbacks are being uh, made. I will give uh, Washington Post credit, however. Uh, they are expanding their climate desks, though, so uh, we will have more climate stories. But I, uh, I mourn the death of enterprise reporting. Uh, stylized enterprise reporting that you see uh, in the magazine, newspaper magazines. I remember um, for um, a relatively short period of time, there was a Sunday magazine here in Binghamton, Susquehanna. Susquehanna. And uh, edited by Daryl Burkhart. Uh, the main writer was uh, Hondo uh, Henderson. Yes. Yes, and uh, he did many of those uh, story, the feature stories in Susquehanna. It and wasn't uh, glossy; it was newsprint, but full color newsprint, and some remarkable Dave reporting. Henderson. And and one one what what fascinated me was when I came across this uh, piece. I think it ran about three or more pages by someone named Ronald Brownstein when he mm -hmm. was a SUNY Binghamton student. And uh, he, he did basically uh, a diary of uh, what happens at Three Mile Island in Middletown, Pennsylvania. He went down there, and his reporting, his basic TikTok uh, that, that uh, he wrote about that uh, appeared in, in the local Sunday magazine. And now Ronald Brownstein is, uh, is one of the uh, foremost uh, journalists in the country. Well, a lot of people who pass through the uh, uh, press uh, newsroom uh, have done uh, wonders. Steve Law. Uh, New York Times. New York Times. Steve Riley, uh, Pulitzer finalist, uh, was up until recently uh, an assistant to uh, Woodward and uh, one of two assistants for Woodward. He went on to a, 
uh, Steve went on to a publication, but now he's uh, been elected to the National Press Club board. Uh, we have uh, people, who else? Uh, Nick Fox, who passed through our newsroom. He's an editorial writer for the New York Times. I think he's still. Um, another person who passed through our newsroom, um, um, as an intern from SUNY, uh, Richard Frank, uh, to Richard Frank, I th the guy who does uh, uh, the Wealth Beat on CNBC. He used to do the Wealth Beat for uh, Wall Street Journal and wrote Richistan. He passed through uh, the press newsroom as uh, intern yeah. uh, from SUNY B. So we've had a lot of people go on to uh, distinguished careers. It has been uh, a, a remarkable time, and the uh, the fact one of the things that, and, and as a person who was born in Binghamton and I've lived here all my life, I I'm always pleased to see people whether they had success, early success in print journalism or broadcast journalism, and spend a couple of years here getting acclimated to to some of the basic principles, and then go on to success. So that's. And it's also nice to uh, know that, at, at least at some level, whether it's at uh, the Times or CNN or Los Angeles Times, wherever, that there are actually some people who could find State Street and Binghamton on the map. That's also interesting, <laughs> because right now, how weird is this, that the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the incoming Democratic Leader of the House who live about a mile apart from each other in Brooklyn, they both could also find the corner of Court and State Street on a map of the United States. I mean, who who would have thought that Hakeem Jeffries, who um, I think his name appeared about once in the local newspaper when he was a student over at, uh, I think it had just become Binghamton University. But interestingly... And this is here's an an interesting thing that uh, to prove that how local journalism ultimately can have an effect going forward. Um, that reference to Hakeem Jeffries when he was a student with the Black Student Union at uh, at BU, he held a press conference to talk about the controversy regarding his uncle, Leonard Jeffries, Professor Leonard Jeffries, who was going to come here for a speech. Well, now, because I made a reference about that in one of my stories within the last couple of weeks, that caught the eye, the eye of a Wall Street Journal editorial writer, oh. and he said, I could find no reference of that in the past, so he got in touch with me. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised that thanks to reporting that happened in the Press and Sun Bulletin 30 years ago that may be referenced in an upcoming Wall Street Journal editorial. Keep your eyes yeah, open I'll for that. I'll keep my eyes on that one. And the other thing, you always there are two things that uh, people always come back to uh, in our reporting is the Billy Martin yes. uh, accident. Yes. And Christmas Day. Yeah, the Christmas Day. What year was that? I think it was 1989. Nine, uh, was it? Yeah. Uh, they were drinking at uh, the Bulls bull's head on uh yeah, up on, on upper front yeah and then uh the Appalachian raid uh yeah 1957 yeah mm -hmm. and um again the the type of coverage and fast coverage fast mm -hmm. and accurate coverage that we saw with both the Appalachian raid in November 1957 and the tragic death of Billy Martin mm -hmm. on Christmas night 
1989. I mean, those stories were documented with the the photojournalists and also with journalists who are very familiar with uh, local law enforcement. Without those people who already had established a rapport with uh, the uh, law enforcement and other important agencies, getting that type of factual information out about those big stories would have been nearly impossible. Well, that's that's the difference between today and yesteryear. Uh, we used to... Uh, we didn't rely, the report, police reporters didn't rely on press releases. Uh, reporters didn't rely on press releases. Uh, they knew the story before the press release. They could tell the wheat from the chaff, and they gave you uh, analysis and the straight story. I know journalists are uh, often criticized, but let me tell you, the journalists I worked with over 45 years were just dedicated professionals, and they abhorred misinformation, and they were uh, worked their fingers to the bone to get accurate information in the newspaper. And to say that uh, journalists are, uh, are shirk their duty is a misnomer. I will, 45 years in the business, there's rare, I've rarely seen a journalist not take his job seriously, with uh, the exceptions of uh, the New York Times guy and uh, Janet Cook at the Washington Post. There, there, there are those exceptions, but uh, for the most part, uh, they are dedicated professionals, and they too are crying over what's happening in the world of journalism. We're speaking with Jeff Blatsky. Longtime journalist here in Binghamton. Our conversation continues in a moment. I'm Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF, 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. When I add a... Ten fifty-two at WNBF and WNBF.com. I'm Bob Joseph. Our guest in the studio is veteran journalist Jeff Platsky. Well, we've talked a lot about what's transpired over the last few decades and where we stand today in 2022. Let's look to the future. Obviously, short term, the future doesn't look that bright as far as uh, journalism in the United States and even around the world. Long term, though, what what are your thoughts about what may happen? Because I do believe that people will come to a realization they need real journalism at all levels of, of their community, their state, and their government, their nation. I see more nonprofit news sites uh, developing uh, stuff like uh, a local, community, local community news sites that uh, are not profit-driven. Uh, but our subscription model sites, and I still see uh, journalism thriving. I mean, I look at the uh, I look at the past. I look at uh, the what the Indy Star did with uh, the gymnastics team. I look what Megan Tui and her associate did with Weinstein, 
and what uh, the Miami Herald uncovered with Jeffrey Epstein. All those stories would not have been covered without uh, a determined journalists. And those determined journalists are still on the job. So we can be assured that as long as journalists are on the job, those types of stories will be uncovered. So I see a different model developing. What that model is, it will, it will take some innovation that we haven't seen, what we've seen very little of uh, in the past. And I wish I knew it because I'd, start, I'd be at the forefront of it, but I don't know what that model will be because as I look, uh, the ad stream isn't there. And you've got to convince people that good journalism is worth paying for. And you're not going to find good journalism on Facebook. You're not going to find good journalism on Google news, uh, Googling news on Google. So uh, it's going to have to be supported by uh, people who uh, think democracy needs to thrive. And journalism is a, a critical component of that democracy. One thing that I think is important uh Young people are still entering journalism. I know one of the people who is listening to our conversation now is Vaughn Golden from WSKG. Mm -hmm. He just sent us a, a direct message on, on Twitter, and he's enjoying the conversation. And truly, it is people like Vaughn Golden and his colleagues at WSKG Public Media who are working hard to cover the stories in this region in a way that are not being covered, say, by commercial radio or the TV stations mm -hmm. or the newspaper mm -hmm. right now. So it's, I believe that also is going to be part of the future in, in reporting in places like Binghamton. Correct. Uh, people like my former colleague, John Campbell, who's doing a bang-up job at... Uh, WNYC and the Gothamist uh, covering the state, or my other former uh, colleague, uh, Joe Spector, who's with Politico New York. Uh, those type of outfits, uh, I don't know if they're thriving, but they're getting the job done. Jeff Platsky, a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking about journalism and continue to keep in touch. Thank you, Bob, for hosting me. And that is an important conversation about the past, present, and future of journalism. You're listening to News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. I'm Bob Joseph, live on WNBF Binghamton. It's 11 o'clock. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Well, it is the calm before the storm, as they always say. Partly sunny, gradually becoming sunny today, and a high in the low 30s, and then downhill from there. Winter storm watch in effect from 10 a.m. on Thursday, that's tomorrow, until 1 a.m. Saturday, December 17th for the Binghamton area, with different beginning and end times for the advisories for other regions. NOAA says the total storm, storm accumulation and possibility for the region was being estimated in the range of 5 to 10 inches of snow for Broome, Shenango, Cortland, Tioga, Tompkins, Susquehanna, and Wayne counties, and 7 to 15 inches for Delaware County with ice accumulations of a light glaze. While the storm watch for the Binghamton area was to start at 10 a.m. on Thursday and end early on Saturday, the watch for areas to the west was for earlier on Thursday morning, 7, and ending at 7 Friday evening. Delaware County's watch was to begin at 1 tomorrow afternoon and end at 7 on Saturday morning with accumulations up to 15.
15 inches, especially in the Catskills. The National Weather Service says the snow is expected to be wet and heavy with the potential to bring down tree branches, and that could lead to scattered power outages. Travel could also be difficult to impossible, impacting the morning or evening commutes Thursday through Friday and into Saturday for some areas. Two Broome County men are facing weapon charges in connection with an incident Monday morning that prompted several local school districts, hospitals, and businesses to implement lockout threat protocols. Broome County Sheriff's officials say 42-year-old Nicholas Skiba of Johnson City is accused of live streaming on his Facebook page while driving a vehicle armed with a handgun and wearing ballistic body armor making threats. Authorities say 28-year-old Keith Hall Sr. of Shenango Forks was also in the vehicle after schools, hospitals, and businesses in the area and associated with Skiba or his relatives went on precautionary lockout. Authorities located the pair at Hall's home on Route 12 early Monday afternoon and took the men into custody. Each is charged with five felony counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Authorities say they also found Skiba is legally not allowed to own a gun. Investigators found several firearms in Hall's Shenango Forks home, including the weapon seen on the Facebook Live presentation. They also seized five handguns, four rifles, three shotguns, and two black powder pistols. Several large capacity magazines were confiscated. The sheriff's office received extreme risk protection orders under the state's red flag law that were served on the men in the Broome County Jail. The Broome County District Attorney's Office says a Binghamton man will be locked up for three years for breaking into a home on Vermont Avenue last March. 32-year-old Frank Cristatello pleaded guilty to felony attempted burglary, admitting he broke into the house and stole money and jewelry. He had previously been convicted in 2018 for felony narcotics possession in Sullivan County. New York State Police say an Ithaca man is accused of pointing a crossbow at someone in the Hanshaw Village trailer park. 58-year-old Bernie Hall was arrested Friday and charged with misdemeanor menacing and criminal possession of a weapon. There were no injuries. People have been going to the Broome County Government COVID dashboard for daily updates of the progress of the coronavirus pandemic are going to have to get their information elsewhere soon. Other county health departments in the region have discontinued their case numbers and death statistics on their Facebook accounts for several months with daily updates offered on the New York Times managed dashboard, the New York State Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention websites. Those sites during the course of the pandemic over the past two and a half years many times offered different numbers than the reports coming directly from local departments of health. This week, Broome County Health Department announced due to changes in the way statistical information is shared with counties across New York, Broome will discontinue its COVID-19 dashboard in 2023. Information will continue to be available through the State Health Department and Centers for Disease Control. The county's contract with the State Department of Health ComCare platform will end December 31st, cutting off the primary data source for the Broome COVID dashboard. Once again, we have that winter storm watch in effect starting on Thursday and running in many areas until early Saturday morning. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today gradually becoming sunny, a high in the low 30s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the upper teens. Now for the Binghamton area on Thursday, a 100% chance of snow and sleet becoming all snow by early afternoon, a high in the mid 30s, winds gusting as high as 24 miles an hour, new snow and sleet accumulations of around two inches. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM.
Bob Joseph live on Wednesday morning. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. invite you to call us at 607-772-1290. You can also email the program, bob at wnbf.com. We begin the hour with Dale in Binghamton. Good morning. Morning, Bob. Uh, nice sunny day. Still cold, though. <laughs> but anyway, I remember delivering the paper back in the 60s and up through seven. um up through 70 and this and that, you know, and, and uh, putting the, the uh, Sunday paper together before you even delivered it and then putting it in a plastic bag so it wouldn't get wet and this and that and everything. You know, it, it was a, an important decision for me, you know, and, and every time I brought that paper home, everyone wanted to read it. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I always loved reading oh, the paper. Boy. Sometimes, sometimes when I right there, yep. and you, and you think about it. You well, know, you had, you had your across the electric. Yep. Whatever you know. Yep. That's what it was, and uh, you know, so I did that for quite a few while. I was in high school, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm. It's really sad because I looked at paper the other day and stuff I bought a paper is like two fifty or something like that. God knows what, but you know, just to buy one and everything and I'm thinking, my God, you know, how can you how can you do this for the information that the people really need? You know? Well, unfortunately that's uh you know big big companies make their decisions and then the big corporate decisions have an effect on on people in small communities across America, and that's it absolutely does. Yeah. I, I I believe that you know I I've seen that you know I, you look through the coupons and stuff on the Sunday paper, and now there's no coupons. You know, there's no nothing. Right. Well, it's it's sad because for the longest time, advertising typically accounted for about seventy percent of revenue of of newspapers now advertising might cover 30 percent or less so that's that's one of the key reasons that the cost whether it's a single copy cost or the weekly or monthly delivery cost of the newspaper is going up the uh, people who actually read the print newspaper have to pay more of the cost because there's um, much less advertising right now that's right. I I, I, I love a, a print newspaper. I, I'll tell you, you know. Well, it's it's nice for people who are traditionalists, but I I also I also will accept the day, and the day may not be that far off when they finally say, well, not only will we 
have no print edition on Saturday. We're not going to have a print edition anytime during the week. We'll just have a, a single weekly edition. And as I mentioned last hour, maybe instead of delivering that so-called big newspaper with the uh, advertising inserts and the color comics on Sunday, maybe they'll deliver it on Saturday, and that way people will be able to enjoy their paper um, Saturday and Sunday, and then they'll continue to update local and regional news on their website. That's right. So I'm, I'm good with that. I'm, hey, in a perfect world, if it... If it made sense to keep printing newspapers seven days a week, that that would still be be done. But of course, times have changed, and that's why, even though they built a state-of-the-art printing plant in Johnson City, they only uh, operated that plant for twelve years before they shut it down, and then um, sent the uh, printing for Binghamton, Elmira, and Ithaca papers out to um, the Rochester area. It's you have to make some tough decisions and that was one of the decisions that was made yeah i, I was uh, I, i've been gone for a while out of bampton night now i'm back here and and i'm surprised at things that have happened you know that is really not helped the community well what's the biggest surprise to you east junior high school with the pools Right there where Weiss Market is. Right. I came back and I said, holy cow, they tore all that out. You know, and mm. so many people that I know or children or whatever enjoyed that, you know. And they and they just, just tore it down. And, oh. Yeah, it's sad to see changes like that. Appreciate your call, Dale. I hope you have a great day. Yep, I will. Nice sunny day. Eleven fifteen. Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. Ron in Binghamton. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Say, uh, you know, I've read the papers all my life. I I feel badly that print journalism is in decline. Uh, how, you know, I listened to your entire thing with Jeff, uh, Jeff, and that was that was great, but. Uh, I was getting a little antsy uh, the longer I listened. Uh, I'll tell you why. Um, you know uh, it, it, what what you call hagiography. You know uh, somebody somebody dies, and you have a glowing assessment of them, and say only good things about them, and you you wonder, wow, is this the whole story? You know that's what that's what it reminded me a little bit of listening uh, to you guys. Uh, and I was thinking of some of the blemishes and some of the warts in journalism that are major and kind of get left out. You know, even for those, I'm thinking of one person who received the uh, the Pulitzer Prize, and the, the Pulitzer Prize, you know, is a kind of sanctification of, of reporters. Uh, Walter Durante was the chief uh, correspondent for the New York Times uh, in the Soviet Union in the 1930s, he was stationed in Moscow. And there was a young journalist from Wales, Garrett Jones, uh, a Welsh reporter, who went to Ukraine in 1932 and he documented Stalin starving millions of Ukrainians. Uh, Garrett Jones had gotten in there and uh, pointed out that all of these people who he saw 
were starving to death, millions of them. And uh, he filed uh, a report on that. And uh, Durante of the New York Times uh, quashed that story, to, uh, said it was a lie. Uh, in print, went and and uh, and uh, castigated um, Garrett Jones as a liar, proved to be that Garrett Jones was right. But Durante uh, received uh, the uh, Pulitzer Prize. In fact, Ukrainian Americans now are trying to to get the New York Times. Uh, to return that uh, Pulitzer, uh, they call Durante the personification of evil in journalism and uh, the originator of fake news. And, uh, you know, that's part of journalism, too, as is what's going on now. Oh, it's true. It's true. And, and if you take a, a very close examination at the history of the New York Times or close examination, I think, of any news organization, you can certainly find examples where uh, overall the, the public public's truth, or the public's, the public good was not, not well served and, and that that story is you know, including the, the whole controversy about how the Times has never returned the Pulitzer or repudiated it. The Times, I think, ultimately wound up publishing an editor's note a few years back, which was a step in the right direction, but it didn't go far enough, in my opinion. Yeah, and and uh, certainly, again, I'm going to say that I appreciate print media. I think it's very important. But we've got to have a um, a skeptical eye there as well. Right now, uh, the story of Barry Weiss is, is very interesting. Of course, uh, a few years ago, Barry Weiss resigned from the New York Times, uh, and her resignation letter uh, was put out, uh, and she basically said that she resigned because the editorial board of the New York Times is totally slanted to one side. She had an interview, and she, she wrote about Tom Cotton, Republican senator, and she was basically roasted by the, the Times and all their employees until she left. And now uh, she's out there uh, and she's got uh, the report on what I guess you'd call Twittergate now, because she has gone and dug into what Twitter has been doing to uh, quash all sorts of speech when it, it is not uh, on the left. And, oh, uh, by the way, just so people know that Barry Weiss was given access to some of the so-called Twitter files by Elon Musk. And good for her and good for the other journalists who are reporting on some of these select excerpts that Elon Musk is releasing. I think in the end, if Elon Musk wants to do people a real favor, if this is his effort to try to um, make the whole twitter machine transparent then he should release everything to everyone instead of releasing select pieces to barry weiss and some of the other reporters i mean it's a step in the right direction so we do see exposed now after some years the uh the things that were going on at twitter but you know why not if you're going to do this 
just release it all. There have already been some serious questions about his releasing some personal information about people who used to work at Twitter, including apparently, I don't know if it was home addresses or email addresses and things like that. So he has, because of his penchant for uh, select transparency, he has put actual people at risk, including some people who now apparently uh, feel their lives are threatened. But if if that's the way it's going to be with Elon Musk, release everything about everything and and just, hey, you know, let it all hang out and, and put it on twitterfiles.org, everything you can find, Elon Musk, and let me and Ron and everyone else see for ourselves what he has discovered. Well, Bob, what, I, what I'm talking about, you, you're deflecting a little bit here. I'm talking about journalists. Barry Weiss is a journalist. I know I'm deflecting, but, but, you know, see, this happens frequently, Ron. I'll make a point, and then because it did not fully uh, address what you brought up, so I'll make a new point that I think is important, then you ignore the point. Okay, continue to make your point, ignoring what I just well, said. Well, Bob, uh, let's straighten this out. I said deflected. I, I didn't say a Well, point. just respond to what I said and then continue. Yes, it was okay. a deflection, but it was important, okay. I think, because I don't think most people understand that Barry Weiss, first of all, most people don't know who she is. They think she sang some sort of 70s hit with a low voice, but that wasn't Barry Weiss. That was Barry White. Anyway, I, again, just respond to what I said about my proposal if Elon Musk wants to clean clean things up at Twitter, which he claims he wants to do, what do you think about just releasing everything to everybody instead of releasing select parts to certain journalists so they can do their latest part in the Twitter files? Just respond to that and then and then continue. Yeah, I, fine, I'm for that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, that he should release it all. But what, what I'm most concerned about is exposing the Washington Post for going after Barry Weiss, a reporter. So this is a, a newspaper, the Washington Post, going after... You mean the New York Times? No, uh, no the Washington Post uh, is uh, has stated that Barry, Barry Weiss is a, uh, is a conservative, and she's just putting out a... Cons that she's working for the right. That's what the Washington Post is saying. So oh, I didn't see that part. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, you know that. Uh, so that's their opinion. They didn't. They didn't print that as as a story. Somebody, evidently, I assume, whether it was an editorial or a columnist, somebody in the Washington Post came up with that opinion. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, but, well, uh, it's the their opinion. Well, it's well, it's their opinion. But it, it's interesting that uh, they have an opinion which uh, comports with going after a reporter who is bringing out something against the left uh, as a good reporter and saying she must be an arch-conservative. I mean, this is, this, this is denigrating Barry Weiss as a journalist. Now, Barry Weiss seems to be a good journalist, but she has to exist in a media right now, and you take the Times and the Post, two big, big papers, who don't like the fact that she's putting out seemingly objective things if, they denigrate uh, uh, news about uh, Biden's son's laptop, that kind of thing. She's, she's going into areas which are too sensitive for her to be talking about 
in a climate where you've got to protect the left. And uh, so that's part of the newspapers today, as well as the good things. And uh, I'm just saying journalism should be uh, should be elevated beyond what it is. It's it's a business with a bottom line, it appears. And uh, there's yellow journalism and there's saints and sinners. As is the case in all aspects of life. There there are good journalists, there are good editors, there are good publishers, there are good corporate citizens, and then the, there are the rest. I mean, that's true of, of life. Anywhere you look, you can see people who do great things, and then if you look closely, you can see people who are doing some not-so-great things. And I I don't dispute the the point you're making that journalism journalistic sins do need to be exposed and people need to be aware whether it's the new york times the washington post cbs news or wnbf when things either intentionally or unintentionally went wrong people should be aware of those things well, I think what, when, when you and Jeff were talking, and again, I appreciated what you guys brought up, but by the end of the time you talked with them, uh, every, uh, journalism was, you know, saint, presented in a saintly way. That's all I'm saying, and it's not saintly. Well, nothing is. Nothing on this side of heaven is. The, um, the fact is, if... If I come across a, a guest, now Barry Weiss, there, here's an example. Months ago, when she, and, and maybe it was right after she was, um, right after she departed from the New York Times, I, as they say on TV, I reached out to her because I wanted to speak with her, but never received a response, which is about the response I, I expected. So, uh, Barry Weiss, I would love to have on the program. I'd love to hear her perceptions of the New York Times and the Washington Post and traditional U.S. media. And she, uh, you know, maybe now she is starting up a new operation. I think, I don't know if it's uh, underway yet. She'll have, I think, a website and some other stuff. Now that she is uh, out in business for herself, maybe now will be a better time for me to, as they say on TV, reach out to her and actually get a response. And if if I do, I'm not saying I will, if I reach out to her, as they say on TV, and she responds, I'll invite her on the program. I, you know, I, I think it would be fascinating. I am intrigued by her story and certainly disturbed by some elements of it. But on the other hand, I'm not going to condemn everyone at the New York Times for what purportedly happened. Apparently, there were some people at the New York Times who, using some sort of euphemism now, behaved badly, at a minimum. So I would like to hear her story. But my guess is Barry Weiss also wants to parlay her story into something bigger and better. I, I won't be surprised if we see the Barry Weiss story on 60 Minutes in conjunction with the release of her book that week. Something like that. I don't think she wants to... I, and again, I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same thing. I think she'll work to monetize what happened to her at the New York Times. 
So, well, you know, journalists can be uh, journalists can be business people. What does yeah, and, and many that? are. I mean, look at uh, Bob Woodward. There's another case. You know, Bob Woodward, for all the accolades he's received over the years, and many justified, but he's also clearly in the business of promoting Bob Woodward. He he withheld a lot of his recordings of the former guy until just recently so he could help promote his latest book. So I'm not saying Barry Weiss and Bob Woodward are the only ones who aren't in the the world of journalism for the purest of terms. They're in the business of journalism because you can, you can, you won't in most cases, but you can, if you're lucky, make some money. So Bob Woodward has made a lot of money in the world of journalism. Barry Weiss is going to wind up, I think, making a lot of money in the world of journalism because now she has a brand. And as bad as things were for Barry Weiss at the New York Times, my guess is, in the long run, and she's young now, I believe she's only 38 years old, in the long run, in future decades, Barry Weiss will appreciate what happened to her at the New York Times because that gave her an opportunity to develop a brand that now many Americans know. If she had stayed at the New York Times, even if, circumst if circumstances were better and she didn't feel compelled to leave the place, most people would probably never know anything about Barry Weiss. It's 1131. This is Bob Joseph Live. We'll be taking more calls coming up on News Radio WNBF. When I Joseph Live, WNBF 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, streaming on WNBF.com. DJ from Binghamton, good morning, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, Bob. You know, uh, did you have you ever went on, uh, first of all, the listeners know, need to know because the storm's coming and the snow's getting wetter and it's getting heavier in these days. And um, places that have never had them are having power outages. My aunt, the town of Binghamton, my, my mom's nursing home, even in Vestal. So um, your renter's insurance provides for a, a hotel room. But I also want to say there's something you can go on on YouTube. It's called Life Hacks or Facebook. Life Hacks. See? And uh, I'm a life hacker not to be confused with a carjacker. And there, that's what you can do. So there's one thing, it's a big clay pot. You turn it upside down, like the ones you, you know, you, you put the big real plants in and real clay, you can get it at Lowe's, Home Depot. You tip it upside down, put it on three bricks, and then put tea candles under it, those little dollar store tea candles. You can get like 40 of them for a couple bucks. And that will heat your room until the, t until the power's restored. And there's many things like this. I'm sure you've checked them out, right, Bob? I've seen some in the past, yeah. I didn't see that one in particular, but... That's a good one. It is a good one. Yeah. Just make sure, obviously, you know, you're not going to put it on carpet. You're going to put it... Oh, know. yeah. Well, <laughs> always be careful 
in a an emergency situation, be careful that you use common sense. Same if you have a, a generator, don't set up your generator in your living room. Yeah, personally, I don't deal with generators. I don't want gas. I, you know, I don't want to have to burn the fuel. This is so much safer and healthier. The upside down big clay pot on three bricks, so it's off the ground. And then those tea candles all under. Those tea candles are cheap. And they so you know what I'm talking about, right, Bob? The little white candles. They're called oh, tea yeah. candles. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I like myself. I like coffee candles, but still, they're they're about the same. The difference with coffee candles is they give off a delightful aroma of freshly ground beans from Ethiopia. And they do have the combination Mocha Roca Moxie tea candles. They're coming out with that, I heard. I <laughs> By the way, thank you for for the uh, helpful advice. Hope hope we don't need yeah. to use it over the next couple of days. Thank you. Hints from DJ. 1137 WNBF, serving America. This is Bob Joseph live. Let's go to Endwell. Tom, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Good. I just uh, you guys were talking about the news. It was uh, it was interesting listening to that guy. Um, you know, when it comes to Elon Musk, I remember when he announced that he was looking to purchase Twitter, and I also remember at that time the Democrats, the liberal media, they started really attacking him. And the million dollar question was: Is what is what? What are they so afraid of? And the more I thought about it, Elon Musk just bought a $44 billion crime scene. And that's why they were so afraid. And, you know, when it comes to journalism, the, the most important fact is that people are supposed to know everything about our government. Not our government know everything about us. And it's the news job to give us the facts, whether they like it or not, and let us as citizens come up with our own opinion, not the media feeding us their opinion, and then we got to sort out what is fact. And I think what Elon Musk did is going to be absolutely amazing. I think he's going to uncover so much corruption in our government and across the world. Everything from hiding stories, covers, cover up. Look at the BTK big scam. That's the Democrats' second largest donor of money. Will there be an audit? That's why journalism is so important. But the problem today is that I feel is that any real, true, hardcore, blooded journalism puts out the true facts of whatever's going on with our government, what's going on overseas, their lives will be in immediate danger. Well, we'll see what happens. I certainly wish Elon Musk the best because he is starting to get pressure to uh, get back to overseeing his car company. Tesla, the car company, stock continues to go down because Elon Musk continues to focus so much of his energies on on the Twitter. He's ignoring his other enterprises. 
So stockholders, people who invested in Tesla, are saying, come on, Elon, we get that you're mesmerized by Twitter and, in theory, want to clean the place up, but you also have other responsibilities and you're costing us a lot of money. So Elon Musk, yes, he's only one man. He's only one man. And yes, I know he thinks somehow he is going to fix the world with his cars and with his social media platform and all that. I don't know if he's going to fix the world, but I, I sometimes get the sense that the kid is bitten off a little bit more than he can chew. But, hey, it is fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating real life story. It's certainly better than reality TV. Vinny from Binghamton, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, good morning, Bob. I um, was listening to uh, you and Jeff talk earlier about journalism and stuff like that, and it was, uh, it was interesting, but then, you know, I, I, I did. I, I, I got sad because um, I'll be 60 next month, and I was able to witness, <clears throat> I would almost say the golden age, maybe, of journalism. Um, I remember when CBS, NBC, ABC, the, 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 the main person was that guy at night or that woman at night. I, rem I vaguely remember Jessica Savage when she came in, but I remember Frank Reynolds and Brokaw and Peter Jennings, Sam Donaldson, all those guys, Bernard Shaw, Koppel, Mike Wallace. Those guys were the centerpiece of the major networks. When they came on at night, you believed them. And it always reminded me, it always seemed like these places were set up like basically the old Charlie uh, Rose show, where all the background was dark, pitch black, you couldn't see it, and all the lights were on, the interviewer and the actual person that was there. So you were centered on one thing. Your attention span was on one thing. And I think that's what this country needs, because right now we've got so much watered-down BS out there. You've got these people that aren't journalists sitting around a table telling us what's going on in the world. Half-truths, this, that, you know, tr trying to get you going, and they've got no, absolutely, positively no skin in the game. And I think that's what's really sad. Because, you know, you read these things, and you read them and say, okay, well, what's the conclusion? Let me, let me, here's a perfect example, our paper. I think it was uh, Tuesdays. Curbed enthusiasm, support may be waning among young voters who have been critical of the Dems. You actually read it, and I'm thinking, okay, well, where are they going? If these young voters aren't voting for Dems, where are they going? It doesn't say. And then it gets in there, well, it's just speculation. You know, it could change, and, you know, and, and it's like, it was like a worthless reading, actually, what it was. It was just hypothetical. Well, this is what the things say, but you know they change. <laughs> And, and, and that's what we get. You know, and, and it, it's, it's just sad. You just sit back and watch. I mean, we just had a caller now, just called in just before me. Talked about the government getting in our, and getting in our, in our, our thing and, and the Democrats and Democrats. Man, go back and read the Patriot Act under George Bush, the Republican administration. Two terms. That was his. That was the Patriot Act. That was out of 9-11. 
where they can find anything in the world to investigate you and look you up and follow you. That was the Patriot. That wasn't any democratic thing. So, I mean, there's, 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 there's so much more to a lot of the news that comes out, but it's almost like, I don't want to, yeah, they are because the internet is, you can find good stuff on there. It's called laziness. Why don't you, why don't you dig and find out the truth? It's out there. Just go find it. Don't let anybody lead you. Don't let them give me any little, little, um, nonsense. Read it. Find out. How did we get here? How did we get here? Because what I see a lot of times right now is we've got a, a, a media that wants to exploit our differences big time. And they'll lie. They'll throw it. If it can stick on a wall, they, they just do it. And that's why we can't talk to each other. Whereas back then, they just gave it a new straight. It made you think. We didn't have people around telling you this is what we think. This is what we think. Yeah. And, and the thing is, everything was simpler then because... They could do that, and they didn't have to worry about people gravitating to the channels that reinforce everyone's worldview. If if you had basically three national newscasts every weeknight at 6.30, CBS and NBC, and then ABC with a, a small audience for many years, they didn't have to come up with the opinion shows that we see now every weeknight on on cable because people of necessity you had had a fairly large news pie and so the the tv networks at 6 30 could divvy up those millions of viewers now with uh, cable news and the internet and other sources um, the audience the audience for traditional uh, media presentations is is dwindling. Appreciate your call. It's eleven forty six at News Radio WNBF six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety is our number. You can also send an email to Bob at WNBF dot com. Eleven forty nine, Bob Joseph, WNBF. Back to the phones we go, Dorothy and Endica, you're on the air. Good morning. I have a question. Last week you were discussing the program SALT, about the SALT babies in Binghamton. And it was my understanding it was WSKG at 7 o'clock, I'm sorry, at 9 o'clock, and I don't remember the day. But then again, it's supposed to be 12, 17, 22 at 9 o'clock, and I don't see it listed. Well, it probably still will be on. Actually, I see it's supposed to be on uh, December 17th. That's this Saturday at 5.30. 5.30? Yes. Okay. Okay. Okay, so try to catch it then. If if you miss it, well, let me know. Try to catch it Saturday at 5.30 p.m. on WSKG. If you miss it, give me a call on Monday. Oh, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for your call. Larry from Kirkwood, good morning. Hey, 
How you doing, Bob? Good. Well, I wasn't going to call today, but being we got this big old storm coming up, who knows what's going to happen with our phone line tomorrow. So I just thought I'd say hello. And uh, interesting conversation today, I guess. Yeah, you know? I enjoyed it. Well, hopefully uh, your phone will be working tomorrow, and I, I'll be here. I guarantee I'll be here tomorrow, so try to give me a call tomorrow, okay? Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, thank you. Joe and Owego, good morning. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I've enjoyed the conversation that you had with your guest relative to journalism and the ability to accomplish, you know, something constructive and positive. Um, but local events occur, and and sometimes you don't have access to the information that the public would like to hear. And... Uh, there was a, 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 an incident where a group of gentlemen delivered a message locally not too long ago, but nothing was ever heard about it, from it. We don't know, at least I have no idea what the message might have been, whether it was an individual message or what have you. But, well, uh, I'm, I'm familiar. I think I am very familiar with that story, and I can't say anything more right now, but... Suffice it to say, I'm working on that. I appreciate okay. that very much. Okay. I'm looking forward to what you I'll do the time. best I can. I, 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 pro, I make no promises, but I am working on it. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's 11.52. This is Bob Joseph, a proud journalist at News Radio WNBF. WNBF, WNBF.com. Bob Joseph working for you on a Wednesday morning. Let's take a look at weather because everybody wants to know about the weather. National Weather Service has posted a winter storm watch for the region in effect from 10 o'clock tomorrow morning until 1 o'clock Saturday morning. Today, sunny, 31. Tomorrow, partly cloudy. Actually, tonight, partly cloudy, low 20. Then tomorrow, starting off with some snow and sleet, becoming all snow by afternoon. A couple of inches of snow and sleet during the day tomorrow in the Binghamton area. A few more inches of snow planned tomorrow night, and then snowy and windy on Friday. So we'll keep you posted with the latest weather, traffic, and school information. This is where news breaks first. WNBF. Joseph, thanks for listening to our program today. I'll return tomorrow morning. This is News Radio, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.